All right, quick poll before we get started. How many of you noticed during the announcements that it was Adam reading the announcements instead of Brittany? Who else agrees that we need to bring back Brittany? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Adam. So, welcome to a family service. How are we doing today? Good. You know, this means two things. Short message, potluck. Yeah! My name is Jacob Dolezal. I am one of your deacons here, and I run the kids' ministry in the back. Uh, as Nathan mentioned last week, we aren't going to be continuing our series in Genesis today. You know, the whole family service and then death of Moses kind of would kill the vibe. Uh, so this week, we're going to do something a little different. So if you don't already know, every Sunday at 930, except for today, uh, we normally do a devotion where we have our deacons in training come up and they will have deliver a 15 to 20 minute devotion on a topic that was assigned to them. And then after they've all gone, what happens is, well, we haven't done this in a while, but we have a panel discussion about the topic. And that's what we're going to do next week. So... This week, I'm going to talk about our, what, our topic of devotion and preparation of next week. And this week's topic, this month or six weeks, has been about discipleship. Aw, poor guy. Poor guy. Yeah. So each of, the, each of the deacons in training, they talked about discipleship and how it pertained to certain topics, such as inner life, spiritual gifts, character, spiritual attitude, and stewardship. Guys, come on. It's a family service. We just roll with it. So all of our deacons in training did a phenomenal job in this past topic. And if you missed any of them, all of them are online. So please go check them out before next week. So as preparation for the panel, I going to talk about discipleship. We're going to define discipleship. We're going to look at what the scripture says about it. We're going to look at biblical examples of discipleship. And then I'm going to share a little bit about my discipleship. That doesn't sound too bad, does it? No. Well, I mean, even if it did, this is what we're doing. So I just have to roll with it. When I say discipleship, what's, what's the, what do you think of? It's not a metaphorical question, guys. Teaching. Teaching, okay. Discipline. You know, it's funny, Barney. Every time I typed disciple in my, it auto-corrected to discipline. It's like, oh, it's telling me something. Um, for me, what I think of is I think of that mentor-mentee relationship. Someone spending time investing into someone else for their betterment. And Dylan actually shared in his devotion that dictionary.com defines discipleship as the condition or situation of being a disciple, a follower, or a student of some philosophy, especially a follower of Christ, which is very interesting to me because it means the state of being a disciple. So then if we continue in this journey of defining things, let's define what a disciple is. A disciple would be defined as 
a person who is a pupil or an adherent of the doctrines of another, a follower. So if we combine these two definitions, we have discipleship being this condition of being a follower of another. This is interesting to me because most of the time when we're talking about this discipleship, we are talking about the how we came into the state of being a disciple. And if we go back to what I was saying about the mentor relationship, someone who's helping someone else become a disciple of the same principles that that person already follows. So now that I've confused you and talked through circles on what the definition of a word is, let's look at what the Bible says about it. First thing that we're going to look at is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came up to them and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You guys know, all know this one, the Great Commission. Jesus gives his disciples or his followers or his pupils of the doctrine he shared one last job to do before he ascends. He says, go and make more like you. Share what you have been taught by me and know that I am with you always. Now, do you think Jesus is saying just go and share that information with everyone on every street corner? Just share it and then move on, share it, move on, share it, move on. No, that's not what he's talking about. This is really interesting because it's how it's different in how we in this modern area think of the word teach versus how the disciples thought of it back then. He's not simply talking about the transfer of information from one to another. He's talking about more. He's talking about speaking of investing in these people, showing the principles that Jesus had taught him himself by showing through example. Luke 6, 6, 39 through 40 says, Now he also spoke a parable to them. A person who is blind cannot guide another who is blind, can he? Will will they both not fall into a pit? A student is not above the teacher, but everyone, when he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. This is after Jesus is speaking to his newly appointed apostles. And our goal as disciples is to become like Jesus. He's the ultimate teacher here. So that we don't end up the blind leading the blind like in this parable. Jesus gave us some really good examples of how discipleship looks. But we're going to get to that later. First, we're going to look at a couple more scriptures by Paul. So get ready for some run-on sentences. We're going to start with Colossians 1, 9 through 10. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard about it, have not ceased praying for you and asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. For context purposes, that it that Paul's referring to at the beginning is the news of the Colossians' faith that Paul had heard from Epaphras. So remember, our goal is to end up more like Jesus. Paul is encouraging them. He's, he's reaching out to this group of people that he has never met before and telling them that he's praying that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So I included this verse because I think that as a whole, we need to do a better job 
of encouraging one another in our walks. We know that how hard this walk can be after Christ, especially in this world that we live in today. And what we need to do is come alongside one another and lift each other up. Now, even just praying for our body more is something that we can all do. We can't know everything that's going on in everyone's life. But what we can do is just pray for our body. Then the next verse that we're going to look at is Titus 2, verses 1 through 6. But as for you, proclaim the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be a template, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. As I was searching through scriptures, I kept coming back to scriptures like this in Titus, ones that reflect this idea of the community investing back into itself. The older, or more experienced, if you prefer that term, are helping out this younger generation, showing and encouraging them how to live their lives to please God. Now, this isn't just a family thing. It doesn't use the word mother or father, but a general older man, older woman. And I really love six through eight because young men really do need to be sensible. You know, I always thought of myself as a pretty good kid, but now when I look back, I think, wow, that was some really stupid stuff that we did. Uh, I don't know how many of you are TikToking or watching memes, but uh, there's a meme going around right now where it shows a little clip of people doing stupid stuff. And then right before the bad thing happens, it stops, and it plays a little song like, Dumb Ways to Die. And, you know, about 90% of those are guys with their buddies doing something extremely stupid. (laughs) So you may look at this verse that we read and say, Jacob, this isn't talking about discipleship. In one way, you're correct. You know, it never openly says discipleship or talks about disciples. But this is a practical look at what living life in a community, discipling each other, looks like. The last verse that we're going to look at in particular is Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints of the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to measure the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. A lot of you recognize this scripture as the five-fold ministry with apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But what I really wanted to focus on was verses 12 and 13. First, if we look at 12, these five positions are supposed to be equipping the saints for the work of ministry and building up of the body. So we're being equipped to do the work of ministry. Well, what ministry could he be referring to? 
Well, maybe we look at that commission that Jesus gave us. Go and make disciples. So that's why we come here. We're coming to be equipped so we can be better at sharing the gospel, making other disciples, becoming better disciples ourselves. Then we look at this piece about building up the body. And we look at that Colossians scripture from earlier. Paul does a wonderful example of how a leader should be encouraging their flock, their group of believers. I think our leadership team here at Pierce Point does a very good job of that. We're lucky as a body to have this group here as an example. Now, if we move on to verse 13, I'm not including myself in that. I'm just like pumping everybody else up. (laughs) Now, as we move on to verse 13, what's the point of building up the body and encouraging the saints? That would be that we all attain unity of faith and knowledge of God, the Son of God, to become a mature man or woman and to look in the fullness of Christ. As I stated time and again, our end goal of discipleship is to look more like God. Now that we've seen what Scripture says about discipleship, let's take a look at how some of these relationships in Scripture and how they play out. We've got some Old Testament mixed with some new, so let's go on. Now, sort of a precursor before we start looking at that, examples. Just because your story of your discipleship does not look the way that some of these stories go and how other people's are, does not mean that it was wrong or incorrect. This is different, and everyone's story is different. I think that's one of the most beautiful parts of this journey of Christianity, is that there is there's no set way of being saved, how you came to it. You have to learn how to be a better disciple, and for everyone it's going to be different. Anyway, the first example that I wanted to talk about is Moses and Joshua. What I found extremely interesting when it comes to this relationship is that, so Joshua is introduced in Exodus 33 as Moses' young aide. And Joshua, from his aide position to Moses, is a witness to a lot of dealings that Moses has. He joins, eventually even joins Moses on his trip up the mountain to speak with God. Joshua got to learn firsthand every day how to lead the Israelites, how to please God, and also what not to do. Moses invested into Joshua and eventually commissioned Moses or commissioned Joshua to take over leading the Israelites after his death. Deuteronomy 31:23 says, "Then he commissioned Joshua the son of Nun and said, "Be strong and courageous, for you will bring the sons of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and I will be with you." And Deuteronomy 34:9. Now Joshua the son of Nun was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid hands on him. And the sons of Israel listened to him as they did, command, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses invests in Joshua. Joshua takes over after Moses moves on. Next thing. The next example that we're going to look at is Eli and Samuel. Now, the story of Samuel is a good one. And if you don't quite remember, I'll give you a quick recap. Samuel was born to Hannah, who was a woman whom the Lord had closed her womb, so she couldn't have any children. This brought her great sorrow. So she went to the temple to pray. There she promised the Lord that if he were to give her a son, that she would dedicate him to to the Lord all the days of his life. As she was praying, the priest of the temple, Eli, saw her, and he didn't hear, he couldn't hear her praying, so he thought she was just, you know, sitting in a corner quivering. He thought she was drunk. 
So he's like, woman, get some sense in you and don't be drunk. Talk about a lovely first interaction. <laughs> she explained that she was praying and Eli sent her on her way and blessed her. Hannah became pregnant and later gave birth to Samuel. Once he was weaned and of age, he was still quite young, she brought him to Eli to the temple and left him to be raised and dedicated to the Lord. I think one of the interesting pieces of this is Eli already had sons at this point, and they were priests in the temple. But uh, they are described here in 1 Samuel 2.12 as the sons of Eli were useless men. They did not know the Lord. What a terrible way to be remembered. But there, there's no need for the author to mince words. They were useless. They messed up the offering and were disrespectful with it to the Lord. I bring this up because it's, it's almost as though Eli gets a second chance at showing how to serve the Lord correctly, how to raise someone to properly serve. Eventually, Samuel has this beautiful encounter with God in the evening, and it kind of foreshadows Samuel becoming this prophet for the Lord. 1 Samuel 3:19 through 21 says, Now Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. He let none of his words fail, and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was confirmed as the prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word. Now let's flip to the back half of the Bible. We'll look at some New Testament examples. The big one, an obvious one, is Jesus with his disciples. He traveled with them, ate with them, lived life with them. I mean, and they, they still had jobs. They still had lives. I mean, Peter's mother-in-law needed to be healed, but Jesus took time for them. He took time to spell things out for them, which we are extremely grateful for, for our benefit. Jesus was the original teacher that we all want to emulate. And these guys were just like us. They asked question after question, and they missed some obvious points that sometimes we just can't get. And then at the end of his journey, when he goes to return to heaven, he gives them that commission that we read. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the, like a final passing of a teacher onto his students. You know, now that I've shown you guys everything, go out, tell others, show them how to live this way. And don't worry, because I am going to be with you always. This is a beautiful representation of a graduation of a student getting empowered by their teacher. Now, the last example that I wanted to look at was Paul and Timothy. We see Paul disciple quite a few people in the New Testament. But I think Paul's relationship with Timothy is pretty unique. Now, Timothy was a young man born to a Jewish mother and a Greek father. His mother and grandmother had both become Christians and had a massive influence in Timothy's life. We see in 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, Paul says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelled in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is 
in you as well. Paul had great love for Timothy and refers to him multiple times as a son in the faith. Paul even eventually had Timothy circumcised so that Jewish people couldn't hold that against him. And let's look at a piece of a letter that Paul had written to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to these faithful people who will be able to teach others. Also, suffer hardship with me as a soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him. And if someone likewise competes as an athlete, he is not crowned as a victor unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be first to receive his crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. We see another reference to Timothy as his son. But the encouragement of Paul here is really what stood out to me. He tells him to be strong in the grace of Christ, to entrust these people with the gospel as they've been shown to be faithful. And then he tells him to suffer as Paul has as a soldier for Christ. Now as a student, when you have your teacher, your mentor come and investing, he's been investing all this time with you, and says, come alongside and suffer with me. It empowers the student. It makes them feel like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm growing. My teacher recognizes me. That would be extremely encouraging to Timothy. Paul trusted him, and he showed him how to be a, great, a better disciple. Timothy had a great start from his mother and his grandmother, and Paul was able to build off of that to help turn Timothy into someone who could help and disciple others despite his youth. Now, let me tell you a little bit about my discipleship journey. Some of you have heard this before, some of you haven't. Uh, I was a young man of 18, freshly graduated high school, been saved since I was 16, and I wanted something more with my relationship with God. I didn't know exactly what that looked like, how it, how it would have happened, but that's what I was craving. And one day my dad came and he was like, hey, I'm having lunch with our church's old worship leader. Uh, you want to come? And I was like, sure. And, you know, at, at this moment, I'm just, just thinking, I'm like, you know, Dad, I, I think that I want to see if this guy wants to hang out every week, you know. And we were surprised that he was even having lunch because he's a busy guy. Uh, so anyway, we go. We're sitting down. We're having lunch. And he starts talking about how his, he has this plan to start meeting with young men and discipling them. And he was like, you know, I'd really like you to be a part of it. And I was like, yes, I am interested. Uh, and that man, of course, is our very own Mr. Nathan Frankhauser. But he's not here. Hey, Nate. He's not feeling so great today. He took time out of his week, every week. Now, mind you, he did not have any of his lovely daughters at this point. So he had a little more time, just a little bit more. And we'd get together and we'd talk about life and we'd talk about God. And then pretty soon we had this group of us that would meet at Eastgate Starbucks every Saturday morning, and we'd sit and we'd talk, and we'd always we'd begin every every group with these two questions: How are you doing physically? How are you doing spiritually? His secret plot was for us to recognize that those things were intertangled together, but 
it took us quite a few, quite a few years before we realized that. He, he showed us, he lived life with us. He showed us that he cared. And more importantly, he showed that he was all in on us. You know, just a group of young, idiotic, early 20s guys. It's a very special person. Now, I could go on hours to tell you of all the ways that Nate has impacted me. But uh, all I can say is thank you. Um, you are a big reason I am the way that I am today. Now, this is my journey. I could go on and on, but how I was discipled, and, but I think it's very important that I've already talked about that, that everyone's discipleship looks differently, uh, just as all our testimonies did. Adam Black, our worship leader, was also discipled by Nathan, but his discipleship and mine, done by the same person, look very different. I mean, I'm not a musically inclined person, so if Nate was like, hey, let's go, let's go jam, no one would have a good time. Everyone. It would be awful for everyone. Now, in all of our deacons in training, in their devos, they all shared a little bit about their discipleship journey. And lo and behold, they're all different. So I'm going to summarize a little piece from each one. If you want the whole thing, go and talk to them, or just go online and watch all the devos. As I said, Adam was also discipled by Nathan, but it looked different because he was seeking to go deeper in his faith and they were together almost every day for a while, doing worship stuff. Dylan Adams, who just walked out, he's too embarrassed, uh, prayed for someone to, I'm just kidding, that's not why. Uh, he, he prayed for someone to invest into himself and find a teacher. He sought, the, he sought that out. Eventually, it led him to a little home church. Kathy G.G., Grieber Glover, Glover Grieber, was... Uh, <laughs> was influenced by her, by many people, but first by her preschool teacher, a lady who invested in her from a young age. And she was shown examples of how we are to live by faith instead of just reading it. Jay Sims, somewhere in here, has an incredible story, but he talked about how he had to choose to get serious about Jesus. Someone was willing to invest into him but he had to first make that choice. And lastly, but certainly not least, Ethan Englehart talked about how when he first came, desired to go deeper, he didn't have a community around him. And he didn't find that till later. But that didn't mean in during that time that he was not growing. Ethan made this wonderful point in his devotion that, you know, if your journey doesn't look like someone else's, doesn't mean that you need to go back and try and do it like they did. Everyone is different. Everyone's journey is different. So one final piece that I want to talk about is that before, as we close, is legacy. Now, a lot of time when someone starts talking about legacy, they're bragging or uh, they're talking about how they can make your legacy great in some grand fashion. But that's not what I'm going to do here. As we do what Jesus commanded us, as we go and make disciples, becoming disciples ourselves, we have this amazing opportunity to be a part of a legacy of generations of Christians that come before us and are after us, as we all are a part of God's plan. I know this world tells us all the time that everything is all about us, but that's just simply a lie. 
being a Christian and living our lives to look more like Jesus gives us a chance to be a part of something that is amazing and actually generational. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had a funeral here for Mr. Bob Briggs. And man, I'll tell you what, it was extremely moving to hear person after person get up and talk about the impact that Bob had on their lives. Bob loved Jesus, and he made it known and shared it with all that he spent time with. One man got up here and was sharing his story about with Bob. At the end, he said, don't worry, Bob, we're going to keep it going. We keep moving. Bob was a part of God's legacy, like we all get to be. Being a disciple in this journey of discipleship is a wonderful thing. Something that we should all desire and grow and crave towards. So next week is our panel discussion. So make sure that you get here. We've got a bunch of great people that are going to come up here and speak. I'm just the warm-up, guys. Next week's the real show. Uh, so if I could get the communion teams to come on up here. We'll go ahead and read Mark 14, 22 through 25. While they were eating, he took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take it, this is my body. And when he had given a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Let me pray for you. Dear God, we are, we are thankful for all that you've done for us. Uh, we just come here to remember what you did. That you would bless this day this chance for us to have community and fellowship. Amen.